to exactly how to defeat the enemy. So I think we begin, Neil, if you can stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read verse 1 through verse 11. Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command those stones become bread. But he, Jesus, answered and said to him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All those things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this powerful passage. Again, Lord, we, we want to hear from you this morning. We want to hear the Holy Spirit prompting us, guiding us, teaching us what you will have for your children to hear this morning. Lord, we pray that you get all the glory. And we thank you, Lord, that you did come and you did defeat the enemy and took him captive. So, Lord, speak with your people this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Please be seated. Now, we're going to pick up from where we left off last week. Uh, Jesus had been baptized by John the baptizer at the Jordan. And the reason for his baptism, we heard, was for Jesus to relate to his creation as the creator. He came down, as we read in Philippians chapter 2, to relate to his creation and to have a relationship with us. This will explain very well the incarnation, the virgin birth, Emmanuel, God with us. This is a very good explanation. We had this wonderful picture of the Godhead. We had God the Son being baptized, and God the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. And then we heard God the Father say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now today we're going to be looking at the temptation of Jesus. And I believe 
It's something that anyone who truly desires to follow after him, one who truly desires to follow after Jesus and his way, will have to face. The tempter will come to everyone at some point in their Christian walk. But I want to say something right from the beginning. There are two persons in this narrative. There is Jesus, the Son of God, and Satan. He's either called the devil or the tempter or even the tester in this passage. Now, it's very important, especially in the modern times that we live in as Christians, to realize and understand that Jesus treated Satan as a real person. Okay? Jesus treated him as a real person. He goes on to say in Matthew chapter 12 that Satan has a kingdom. And his kingdom is not divided. He has a kingdom. Uh, the outline of the kingdom as well was taken when he was thrown out of heaven. He took the angels with him. He took the system with him. And he's very well organized. But it is important to treat Satan as a person. We have many medieval uh, stories and Hollywood movies uh, have done well to make him look like a joke. Is this true? Maybe as cartoons growing up, you see the devil with horns and a pitchfork, little red guy on your shoulder. Um, and these, I mean, Hollywood and the medieval period and, and like, have done very well to make anyone who wants to speak about the enemy or Satan or the devil rather embarrassed about the topic. I mean, in many churches, traditional churches, he is simply left out, which gives him a great opportunity to hide, a great opportunity to torment those who want to believe in him, and a great opportunity to move freely as he wills, because his main idea is that he doesn't exist, is it? I don't exist. Why would you talk about me? It's rather embarrassing when he's spoken about. Now, a few things about Satan I want to say is this. Satan is not a concept. It's not a biblical idea. It's not a biblical um, way of uh, picturing things. And Satan is not a literary device. We don't just pick up Satan just within the scriptures as an idea or a concept or a form of evil. He is evil personified. Do you believe that? I mean, I've spoken to many Christians from denominations and backgrounds and cultural backgrounds. They seem a little embarrassed at the reality. However, when something bad happens, they say that's evil. Or even the world says that's of the devil. I know they're using it as a metaphor, but Jesus is treating Satan as a real person. And that's continuous through the scriptures. Now, I believe that today's message will be insightful, educational and encouraging. Again, it's more of a teaching than it is a sermon. So there's going to be lots of information in here um, as we go through it. The message is entitled, Triumph Over Temptation. Triumph. How do we get victory over temptation? So let's begin. We're going to look in verse 1. And we take it line by line. Let's read verse 1 and 2 together. Sure. So it says, Then Jesus who was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Afterward, he was 
hungry. Now, the first thing for us to realize is that Christ has gone before us. He is the example. He is the example of uh, obedience. He is the example of doing things correctly. He's been obedient to the call of baptism. And then he is, according to the Scriptures, led away by the Spirit. Now, for the believer today, we are to believe on the Lord Jesus. We're to repent, be baptized, and to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting that ministers I've spoken to, even churches, keep leaving out the Holy Spirit. I went to a baptism recently, and he wasn't mentioned until the person said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Other than that, the Holy Spirit was not mentioned in the whole church service, which lasted about an hour. So my first question is, who is the Holy Spirit? Anyone? So we don't want to leave God out of church, do we? We don't want to leave God out of our lives. We don't want to leave God out of our services and our understanding. And, spirit, and in our spiritual walk, God needs to be central to it. Now, the Holy Spirit, according to the Scriptures, comes to teach us, guide us, to remind us, and to lead us. That's his job. And this is the promise which Christ promised his disciples who will truly follow after him. Truly follow after him. Now, in Romans chapter 8, 14, it said, For as many as led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God. Those are the sons of God. And I think it's important to realize this. God does not have grandchildren or great-grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren. God has sons and daughters. There's no use in saying, well, my dad is a vicar or my grandmother got saved and I've been a Christian all my life and has never become a son and never become a daughter. Jesus wants to deal with everyone directly. It's not through a lineage. I spoke with a minister the other day, so I've been a Christian all my life. I said, well, you're the only one I've met. Because someone has to make a decision to follow Jesus. Is that true? I don't believe a one-year-old or a two-year-old can do such. You're not born as a Christian. You can be born into a Christian family. We know that. We can be brought up with Christian values and principles. But you're not born. You need to be made a son or a daughter of the living God, and then become a son of God. Now, how is one led by the Spirit? Now, I'm going to put it quite simply. The primary one is by the Word of God. The Word of God is how God has spoken. People ask, well, what do you think about this and this? But God has already said. What has God already said to us? God will lead us through prayer. God will speak to his people through his word or by his word in prayer. Worship. God will speak to us when we come and truly worship him through the preaching of the word, the proclamation. God will speak to us. And here's an important one. Fellowshipping. By fellowshipping with other believers 
God will speak to you. Have you found that here? You found it in other churches as well, and friends who are Christians. By Christians coming together and speaking with one another and encouraging one another um, or sharing something, they say, oh, wow, God's been speaking to me about the same thing this week. In fact, it was that same passage. How encouraging. Now, this is how the enemy has got in. He's isolated people that while I can be a Christian at home alone or I don't have to have fellowship or maybe an hour on the Sunday is enough for me. It's not. It's not enough for you. The Lord has called us to be a body. The Lord has called us into a fellowship of believers in Jesus. Amen? What does that mean? Fellowship means to simply have things in common. Now the question might be this, but I don't feel I've got much in common with Christians. That's a problem. You may have things that you disagree with. You may have things where, well, I wouldn't have normally have a coffee with this person. They're a bit of a weirdo. They're probably thinking the same about you. But the thing that you have in common, this is where we get the word from, koinonia, koinos, things in common, is Christ. Amen? So when I was working in Jerusalem, the church that we were at, well, that's Christ Church in Jerusalem, there's all sorts there. There's Africans, there's uh, English and Swedish and Americans and there's even a German there. Now, the IDF used to come in, the Israeli Defense Force, and I said, well, what are you lot all doing together? You're all from different nations, you've got different languages. What are you all doing? How is that possible? Well, it's only possible in Christ. Amen? Because the thing that you have in common, no matter what country somebody is from is christ and you can have this conversation i've had conversations for hours with people i've only just met so encouraged so as as my wife would say pumped up for jesus is that the one revved she says i'm revved for jesus yeah i'm getting in some with some of the modern speak do you like that heather revved for jesus you get so revved for jesus in the middle of jerusalem with some guy from sudan because the Lord has spoken to him about a passage which was in your daily devotional. You see that? You say, that's amazing. This is amazing. Fellowship is really, I would say, the heart of Christianity. Wouldn't you agree with that? Fellowship. God has called us to a body of believers. And the outside world should say, wow, look how they love one another. Look how they love one another. How is that possible? Now, note here. That Jesus, in this passage, is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This is God's plan. However, it's the devil who's the tempter. Just like the story of Job. God is leading him, Jesus, by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now notice it happens immediately after he's been baptized. For us as believers, this happens. As soon as you make a commitment, let me tell you this. You are in a wilderness. You come from this kingdom, and I'd say for many, they remain in a bit of a wilderness before they enter truly into the kingdom of God. You'll be a Christian for many years and not really be in it and not really know Jesus. Is that true? I know this through experience. We know, I also know it scripturally. There are people who are making a commitment to Jesus, still don't know him, not baptized in the Spirit, not even receive the Spirit. Acts chapter 8 will give you a 
clear outline of that. But once you make that public, indeed, declaration that you're going to follow Jesus, all hell will break loose. All hell will break loose. Now, we'll get more into that in a minute. But it says that Jesus was fasting, look, 40 days and 40 nights. Now, when we see this number in Scripture, I want you to write this down. This is called uh, biblical numerology, if you're into that sort of thing. 40 stands for this. Trial, testing, and tribulation. Wherever you see that number 40. Trial, testing, and tribulation. Moses was in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Exodus 24. Elijah fasted 40 days and 40 nights. 1 Kings 19. Israel wandered in the wilderness 40 years. Numbers 14. And I believe all who truly, again, desire to follow after Jesus and his scriptural pattern. Well, Jesus was left in the wilderness. We would be left in the world. That is where our temptation lies. That, that lust of the world. Lust of the eyes and the pride of life. You are left in this myriad of temptation when you make a commitment to Jesus. Now the question is, since you've been baptized, how did you do in the wilderness? How did you do from day one since you were baptized? How's it going now? Wow, silence can go even more quieter. I've been there. That's when the temptation comes. That's when it all happens once you make a true commitment to Jesus. Now, the question is, if you're failing, praise you for being honest, um, what to do about it? Now, we're going to look at these three temptations. These three temptations. Now, I want to define this. Temptation needs a definition. So let's get the definition down first. Listen carefully. Temptation is a desire to engage in short-term urges for enjoyment that threaten long-term goals. Let me say that again. Temptation is a desire to engage in short-term urges for enjoyment that threaten long-term goals. I would say that's a good definition of temptation. Now we can look at the first one. Look in your Bibles, um, verse 3, okay? So I think this is for all of us. I don't think there is any exception. Now, when the tempter, that could be translated tester, came to Jesus, he said, if you're the son of God, command those stones become bread. Now, I think the first thing to point out is this. The tempter came. The tempter came to Jesus. Jesus didn't go after the tempter. The tempter came to Jesus. Now, my question to you, has the tempter ever come to you? Don't shout out. Has he ever come to you? Here's something to consider. Did he ever come to you before you were a Christian? Something to consider, isn't it? Now, my observation is this. Okay. 
those who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about those who have the Holy Spirit. If you have professed Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. But those who have been either immersed or filled or been baptized in the Holy Spirit will always say, yes, the tempter has come to me. Those who are unsure if they've ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit or they've never even heard of the Holy Spirit, always say, no, I don't know. I'm not sure. But those who have. Now, the reason for this, I believe, is this. Satan has no reason or no need to expose himself to anyone who doesn't believe in him. Anyone who's been baptized in the Holy Spirit is a danger to him. So those who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, they've gone too far, so he has nothing to lose with those who have been baptized. He might as well come out. He's literally out the closet. He's going, okay, you know of the reality of me. You've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Danger. The enemy has two functions. The first is to keep you from knowing Jesus. That's the first one. The second is to stop you being an effective Christian. And the only way you will be effective if you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Nothing else will do. Until you are filled and continuously filled with the Holy Spirit, you pose no threat whatsoever to the enemy. This is why so many churches are in the flesh and they're doing things of their own ideas and the enemies happily lets them do it. You see that? You want to go and do this? You want to? That's fine. Off you go. But once you start to be led of the Spirit, once the Lord starts to give you vision and ideas, now you're dangerous. When you start walking in the authority, if you're not walking in the authority, then what's the problem? You get that? Now, my own observations that says that is true. Now, the first thing he does is this. Look, he comes to bring doubts. He comes to bring doubt if you are the son of God. If. Now, if you've ever heard that, you can easily take great comfort, okay? If you've ever heard the enemy say that to you, either in your spirit, in your mind, not necessarily audibly, I guarantee you this, that you are definitely a son or a daughter of the living God. Praise God. So don't be down about that. It's the enemy coming to confirm something to you. That's how the enemy works. Uh, let me just add, he will use any means to get that message to you. He may use another Christian. Don't think the Christians are exempt. Now, many of your problems will come from professing Christians, not the world. The Christians that help bring doubt, especially to the new believer. It may be Bible translations. It may be, have you heard this teaching or that? Or do you believe this theology or do you believe that? And it scrambles the new believer's minds. Is this true? I know it to be true, especially after being a pastor for almost six years now. Someone says, look, I've got a question. And I was going, okay, that's not always Margaret. I have a question. I heard somebody on YouTube. I heard, who is this person on YouTube? Um, don't know. Where's he or she live? Don't know. I don't know anything about them. But you are letting them into your life? You're letting them into your mind. You're letting them into your ears. We've not known anything about it. I think there's some great stuff on YouTube. But you don't know that. But would you let that person in your house and babysit your children? So why are you letting them occupy your mind and your spiritual perception? You're just allowing them in. Oh, it's okay. If I don't like it, I'll filter it out. No, you won't. 
I've prayed for people who have been so bogged down with things that they've, they, I've had people weeping in front of me. I've watched and they can't get out of their mind anymore. You believe that? I've seen this thing and it sent me in a spiral and they've spiraled and many of them have left churches. So let's not think we're above it. I'm not above it and you're not above it. We are to protect. We are to protect ourselves from this and everybody else around us. Now, there's two things I've observed that he speaks about to people. This is through ministry. And again, this is through experience. Two things in particular. One, well, actually, it's three, but two main ones. Baptism. The enemy always talks to people about speaking in tongues. Now, I'm not here to argue about speaking in tongues. I've argued enough for that. If you want to know about speaking in tongues, speak to Andy. He's heard it all. Bless him. Several countries. Now, why is this? I've had people say to me, well, the, the, the Lord told me not to be baptized, where the Word of God says to be baptized. So God spoke to you to not be baptized. And to not speak in tongues. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, hold on a minute. Now, if this was of the enemy, and baptism is not necessary, and speaking in tongues is not for today, why would the enemy say, don't do them? Surely it'd leave you to waste your time, no? You see that? Now, what he does is shut you down. And we had a sister here. This is a great story. Who remembers Sister Bonnie? She was baptized. She was with the church for years, and she got baptized here. Now, one of the reasons she got baptized, she'd been praying for her brother for years, and he got baptized in the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, and baptized that week. And she was like, kind of left behind. So, James, uh, I need to, to catch up with my brother. I've been praying for him, and, and all this has happened to him. I said, well, thank God, your prayers have worked, sister. She said, he's going to come to my baptism. I said, that's wonderful. And he came along, and I was making a cup of tea. And he was a young guy, and I said, so then, how many times has the enemy told you that speaking in tongues is evil? And he went, how do you know that? How do you know that? I said, because he says the same to everyone. He gets people isolated and says the same thing. To Paula, don't come forward for prayer. For those being baptized, you're not ready yet. The Holy Spirit, that's a bit weird. Look at the charismatic. Speaking in tongues, that's probably demonic. All of these things, he says the same thing time and time again. Again, if these were not effective, why would he stop you from doing them? Okay? My question is, if you don't speak in tongues, fine. The question I will leave with you is, do you think it's available to you? Do you think it's available to you? And you can see why the enemy doesn't want me to speak about such matters. It's a complete exposure of who he is. And Jesus is doing the work. Now, the last voice that Jesus heard was, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The next voice that comes in says, if, if you are the son of God, do such and such. Satan directly challenges God on his word and on his position and your position in the word. You understand that? Your position in Jesus is immediately challenged when you pose a threat. Now, Turn with me to Matthew 26. Now, for the new believer, and even for the seasoned believer, the thing that the enemy appeals to the most is your flesh. All the things that you've been used to all your life. Everything you've been used to, 
he will appeal to that. Because the flesh has such a command over us. Um, the flesh makes a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. Remember that. The flesh makes the body a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26, verse 41. Jesus has asked them to pray, and they've fallen asleep. He says this, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. The Spirit is willing. Anyone decided to get up at four in the morning and pray for an hour? How did you get on? Sometimes okay, sometimes asleep in 10 minutes. You say, well, I'm just going to do it for a week. And you give up on Tuesday. The Spirit is willing. That's wonderful. Praise God. But your flesh is like, no, I'm not used to this. It's a terrible idea. And you think of, well, I'll do half fasting, half prayer. I'll pray in bed. I'll pray lying down with my eyes closed to sleep. I'll pray that way. Yeah, at least I'm praying. All night I prayed. Yeah? Because the flesh is weak. But let's, let's just praise God and thank God that in us is that desire to follow him. This we must be thankful for and have joy in the fact that our spirit is going, I want to get up at this time. Why is it always that time? Why can't it be a reasonable time? As, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, he can't pray in the morning. Uh, I found this such a relief. He says, I don't even pray when I'm studying in the mornings. I pray in the afternoon. Because that's when I'm at my best. And I think it's a, this is wise words from an experienced minister that we must find what works for us. Know yourself. Why you need to sleep then. Maybe you're a mum of three kids and you think, I'm not going to do that in the morning. I'm better in the afternoon. Learn about yourself the way the Lord has made you rather than trying to fix a program which you know you're going to break just like the diet you started this year. Amen? Well, that went very quiet. Spiritual discipline, prayer, reason of the word, and meditation again, fellowship. This is all part of our spiritual discipline. The enemy would say, well, you can do something else today. It's always on a Sunday morning. For those who are not here, I'm not condemning you. But you will get an email. The enemy will put anything your way on a Sunday morning or when you go to pray or all of these things. You know all of this, yeah? Because he's appealing to your flesh. Chelsea, she's going to kill me for this. But she has a snooze button. And the phrase I learned when I first got married is, 10 more minutes. <laughs> okay? Now, if she was to say, 10 more minutes, but she didn't. She said, 10 more minutes. <laughs> okay. I'm not my own anymore. So 10 more minutes. Um, she started to get up at cowboy time, 10 to 10. I'll let you figure that out. I've learned all of these new things. I'm in trouble, aren't I? Okay. <laughs> know yourself. Okay, Paul says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. I discipline my body, Paul says, because he knows the weakness of the flesh. So he disciplines it. He structures it. He brings it into subjection. That man, once I heard a story, a man who decided to fast for a day, he said, my belly gave me so much grief, I decided to fast another day to punish my body. Praise God. 
Why? Because you're to bring your body, just like an athlete, there's no different, to discipline. And we need that spiritual discipline. The things that you think are non-spiritual, listen, TV, internet, your phone, Instagram, YouTube, but everything else, okay? That is part of your spiritual discipline because you're not going to let that into your system without that affecting you. There's no chance. We spoke about it this morning. We prayed about it this morning, how much time we've robbed from God and given to the enemy or at least the flesh. Am I right? And I, I stood up here and first said, I'm guilty of this. That we need to turn around and give it all back to Jesus because he's given everything to us. He's given us life. He's given us the spirit and the desire. But it's the flesh that is weak. Therefore, the, crash, the flesh needs to be crucified. It needs to be killed. We can observe the cross, but we must get on the cross and kill it. Because, I'll tell you why, the Lord has a better plan for every one of us. He really does. He has a plan, and he wants to speak to you through his word. You know that time you get excited um, when you read the word, and you say, wow, that really? the Lord has that for you actually every day. He has that in his word every day for us. But sometimes we block him out when he's trying to speak to us. Now, Jesus answered, verse 4, and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, we're going to get that. Uh, we're going to look at that in a little while. But Jesus is simply quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. Now, let's look at the second temptation. It says, Verse 5, then the devil took him up into a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands he shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Now the holy city there is obviously Jerusalem and he's taken him up onto the pinnacle which is the high point of the temple. It's obviously in a vision and Jesus is out in the wilderness and he has this vision. And again, he says, if you are the son of God, you see, he's relentless. You maybe have to resist that at time, but maybe you're starting, well, am I? Am I really a child of God or not? He doesn't give up. If you are, if you are, you may resist, but he's trying to wear you down. And this is where the gospel comes in for believers. The gospel must be presented in the church. I'm going to read a verse here. By grace you have been saved through faith. You all know it, yeah? But you need to hear it how often? Because when you get in the flesh, you start to say, well, I, I start to condemn myself. Well, I've not done enough. And the enemy goes, no, you haven't done enough. And you start to feel condemned. Therefore, we must always hear about the gospel because the gospel is the good news, amen? That Jesus has done it, that he's died on the cross and we're to follow after him. And his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Nothing you can add. So we must always be reminded of the gospel because the gospel is where the grace is. Condemnation is the voice of the enemy. Now, the devil ups his game. Look at the difference here. The devil ups his game. He starts to quote scripture. And brothers and sisters, this is where it gets dangerous. Once the enemy, because he knows the Bible very well, starts to quote scripture. Here he's quoting from Psalm 91, which is a messianic psalm. And the danger is this. 
the devil will speak to you like this. Because of the gospel of grace, he will say this. It's okay for you to do that. God will forgive you. You can do this. That's fine. You're under law. You're you're under grace rather, not under law. You can do that. Repent later. Enjoy yourself. You can always repent later. Indulge a little bit. Repent later. Anyone heard this voice? Anyone taken heed and said not, no? Repent later. It's okay. It's a gospel of grace. Jesus will forgive. After all, God is love. Felt like Joel Osteen when I said that. Because this is what it's like. Indulge later. Repent later. Paul says this. Romans chapter 6, 1 and 2. You can make a note of it. I'm going to paraphrase it. But he says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. We don't, as Christians, have a license to sin because we're under grace and not under the law. In fact, we, our standard is higher than those under the law. Under the law, to commit adultery, you have to commit a sexual act. In the New Testament, it says if you look at somebody of lust, you commit adultery in your heart. What, I mean, what's higher? We're called to a higher calling because it is a better covenant with better promises as we heard last week. The Christians are called to set apart. Now, Jesus answered in verse 7. Let's have a look. It's written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, again, Jesus is replying with a quote from Deuteronomy, and we'll look at this later. But let me give you an example. What is it to tempt the Lord your God? Um, For example, I mean, the devil's quoting to him scripture. God's going to look after you. He's going to give angels charge over you. Now, I would say this in in a modern time that we're living. There's a few cults. Many of them reside in America. Sorry about that, but that's just the reality. Sorry, Kobe. Um, But there's a particular group of um, churches down the south of America where they like to play with snakes. You know the church? And they like to, I don't know, look at snakes and drink poison and everything else, and that God will protect them. Um, Many of them have died. Nobody's allowed to laugh. Many of them have died because they're playing with, literally, with fire. They said, well, God's going to protect us. The verse that they quote is, we've got the authority to take up serpents and drink anything deadly, and it will no, by no means harm us. That is tempting the Lord of God. God's got me. I'm going to jump out this plane without a parachute. God's got me. It's fine. He will not let me hurt myself. This is tempting God with something that he's given you, which is very precious, which is your life. This is tempting God, and we're not to do it. And Jesus replies by quoting Scripture. We look at that again. We're going to get to the third temptation. This is a lot of information, I understand that, but I'm trying to expose how the enemy works and gets a foothold in yours and my life. The third temptation, beginning with verse 8, says, Again, the devil took him, Jesus, up into an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All those things I have given you, if you fall down and worship me. Jesus has been offered the world by the enemy. And not only Jesus, you have as well. What the enemy offers you is your freedom. So-called freedom in this life. You're free 
do whatever you like. And you know what? Through the gospel of grace, you are. But you won't be under grace. You'll be under the law. The only freedom that you can have is in Christ. Because that's the only protection you're going to have. So the enemy is saying to him, all of this can be yours. He has the audacity to use scripture against Jesus. The language will be something like this. And it's important because it deals with the cross. His language is, well, Jesus, um, you did come to save the world, didn't you? Well, I'll give it to you. That's what you're here for. And you've come to save the people and, and rule the kingdoms and the world. I'll give it to you. But don't go to the cross. You don't have to go to the cross. I will give you the kingdoms of the world, but don't go to the cross. The cross is painful. You, you don't want to go there. It's unloving. Don't go to the cross. I will give you what you want. That's what you've come for. To the Christian, he says a similar thing. The Christian life is too hard for you. Relax. Let your hair down. Enjoy life a bit and repent later. It's the same thing. The tempter comes in the same form. Why? Because he's saying to Jesus, don't go to the cross. And he's saying to you as well. And he's saying to me, you don't have to go to the cross either. You don't have to die. You can have your Christian life and your private life and your, your, your I don't know, whatever it is, your perverse sex life. Or you can have your, your drinking and you like your alcohol and you want to get hammered and you want to do drugs. You can have all of that. That's, that's absolutely fine. But don't go to the cross. You can have all of these things. Now, the cross is where he's, what he's scared of. Because the cross symbolizes complete victory of Christ over the devil, over sin, and over death. And that, of course, is his defeat, isn't it? He's come, Jesus, to die for the sins of the world. And the enemy's stopping him for any reason. Don't go there. I will give you anything because he sees his demise in the cross. Jesus, however, says this. For what profit is to a man for him to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? Whatever you can gain in the world, yet lose your soul. And I always remember this verse because this is the verse that's underlined in Elvis Presley's Bible. Hardcore pen. The Bible was given to him by the Reverend Billy Graham. You had someone like Elvis Presley. He was king of the world, king of rock and roll. had everything. And this is the verse that really stood out to him. What is it to have all of these things let yet lose your soul? And we see this, don't we, with musicians time and time again. They're playing with fire. And the enemy will provide and give it to them. Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow, and follow me daily. Satan's goal would be easy to say, well, he's simply after worship. But the goal here is to stop Jesus going to the cross. That was his whole goal of trying to prevent Jesus going to the cross. Let's have a look in verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. See, Jesus is saying, Away with you. He uses the same language with Peter. Get behind me, Satan. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus, in a way of dealing with us, in a way of sanctification, allows the enemy to come behind him. Literally, the enemy follows behind the gospel. 
Wherever the gospel is preached, the enemy is allowed to come in. Do you know that? Wherever the gospel is preached, whenever a seed is, there will be a bird there to come and pick up that seed. Jesus allows it. It's part, I believe, of the sanctification process. And also, if the Lord inspires you with something, someone else will come up behind you and say, it's going to fail. You've been inspired to do something by God. I can guarantee you in an instant, someone will come straight up to you. And normally it's a Christian saying it's all going to fail. And that's how he works. But again, take great comfort in that. Because that's a confirmation that you're probably doing something right. Amen? And that God is working in and through you. So Jesus deals with him by, again, quoting scripture. And I want to finish with this, and then we're going to give you um, a summary of, of how Jesus deals with this. Verse 11, it says, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, the devil didn't leave him for very long. Um, Luke chapter 4, verse 13 says, Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So you will get the victory, but the enemy, enemy will be looking for how we can get you the next time. For when you let your guard down, or as we commonly say in the evangelical realm, there's a chink in your armor. He'll be looking out for you. And this is Satan. He hasn't finished with Jesus yet. He's waiting for the opportune time. And it's not long before the voice of Satan comes through Peter, who has just declared that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see that? The voice of the enemy working through one of the disciples of Jesus to stop him going to the cross. It's always the cross. Stop him going to the cross. Now, we heard the three temptations. Now we're going to show you how Jesus got the victory. Can you turn with me to Jude, please? There's a lot of meat here. I know it but it will make a good Bible study and things for you to remember. This was shared by a minister right at the beginning of my Christian walk. I heard from a minister and it stuck with me and you would do well to remember this. This is to do with the Archangel Michael. Okay? Jude, verse 9. Now, yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Notice he did not bring a reviling accusation. It's Satan who's the accuser, not you. We're not to accuse. I know people like to start shouting at the devil and stamping their feet as if it affects him. It doesn't affect him. It's the cross that affects him. It's the blood of Christ that affects him. It's the authority that we walk in that affects him. He's not deaf. Okay. The Lord rebuke you. You see, what's happening here is this: Satan has come alongside the archangel Michael. So look, Michael, um, you're an angel. You're very powerful. Um, let's discuss this, let's debate this, um, let's talk about this. He's trying to get Michael to engage in dialogue. Write that down. 
He's trying to get Michael to engage in dialogue. And this is what the enemy wants for you and your life. He wants to dialogue with you. Monologue is not so good. Dialogue is more powerful. He wants you to start conversing with him. As he did with Eve in the garden. You see, he entered into her turf, but she entered into a dialogue with him. And this was her downfall and the downfall of humanity. Thinking that we are strong enough to dialogue with him. But the archangel Michael is wise enough to simply say, and this is Michael, one of the most powerful angels. He says, no, the Lord rebuke you. I'm not even going there. The Lord rebuke you. He doesn't enter into a conversation about this. The enemy doesn't like this message. Very good. Must be doing something right. Your problems, my problems, have come when we start conversing and dialoguing with the enemy. We start bartering with the enemy. Okay, well, uh, you've lost from that point. Now, Jesus is showing us something very powerful here. Jesus, who's the Son of God. Jesus, who's the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. Jesus, who's the Savior of the world, said nothing new to Satan. He simply quoted the Old Testament, the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. You see? A lot of the scholars have a problem with Deuteronomy. I don't think it's the scholars that have a problem with it. I think Satan has a problem with it. Because through that book, he was defeated. This is the Word of God. God breathed Word. And this shows us exactly how to deal with it. Never use your own words. Don't enter into a dialogue. Just simply be like the archangel Michael. The Lord, should we say that? The Lord rebuke you. Let's say it three times. The Lord rebuke you. Again, the Lord rebuke you. I feel like I'm at an exorcism. Now, Jesus is the victor. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, we have to do it his way to complete his will. Jesus said, if you desire to come after me, let him do three things. Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow after me. There's a fight involved. But you have an unction. You have an anointing of the Holy One. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You must believe that. And you must stir that up. All of us Christians must be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not romantic language. It's a command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is in the believer, we have authority. However, when we get in the flesh, we are nothing. We can do all things through Christ. Amen. But once we get into the flesh, we are weak. We're nothing. We're useless. But we can do it if we are filled. The scriptures tell us that we overcome him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, and not loving our lives to the death. You want to overcome Satan? Jesus has already done it. You need to get with the program which Jesus has for us. Filled and led by the Spirit not led by the flesh. Now, this is as simple as I can get at the end. I could share loads of verses about how we are conquerors. But the key is this. Knowing your word, applying your word, not entering into dialogue. Give no provision for the flesh, none whatsoever. And I'm so thankful that the Lord showed me this word that when we were worshiping this morning about being thieves to God. Because we rob him of our time However, we rob ourselves of the blessing. You see that? 
What's the blessing? Communion with the living God. How foolish we are. How foolish I am to rob God of giving me a blessing. Spending time with Jesus. Bowing down at the feet of Jesus. Learning from Jesus. I didn't do this week as much as I should have done. Why didn't I do that? Well, I, I don't think I did anything particularly sinful. But the sin of omission is pretty bad, which is leaving God out in every area. I've missed out. Maybe you have this week on a blessing from the Lord. Now, Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. He says, Therefore, let him who thinks he can stand take heed lest he fall. You think you're strong enough? I'm telling you, the scriptures are telling you you're not. Not in your flesh. You will not withstand the wiles of the enemy. But he goes on and says, No temptation, no testing has overcome you except that which is common to man. Everyone is going to have to face this testing. Why? It's a kind of buffeting the Lord is allowing. He allowed it with Job. He loved Job. He allowed it with uh, the Apostle Paul. He loved the Apostle Paul. He allowed it with his son. He loved his son. But there's a buffeting. That sharpens you. That makes you press in. Makes us press into God. But then he says, But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able in Christ. But with the temptation, he will always make way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He'll always make way of escape. Now let me ask you this. This is the last question. The times, let's be honest, when you have sinned, the times that you have fallen, the times that you have decided to heed the voice of the enemy, not God, has he in every time made a way of escape for you? In your mind, when you've sinned, have you heard the scripture, the opposite to the sin? I have, I'm going to be honest. Why is that? Because it's necessary to stand up here and be truthful. When you go and do something, the enemy, the enemy is speaking to you, but also the Lord is talking to you. Which voice are you going to listen to? He makes a way of escape. Let's finish with, we need something to lift us up because it's quite heavy. Turn to James chapter 4. We'll finish with this. I know it's heavy, <clears throat> a message, but I believe it will bring about freedom. James chapter 4. Starting kind of halfway, James chapter 4 from verse 4, it says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Very powerful. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? See, God is a jealous God. He wants you. You're his. He wants you. Some people have a problem with that verse. I remember saying to a friend of mine, he asked me the question, why is it saying in your Bible that God is a jealous God? And he thought that's a terrible verse. I said to him, imagine your two boys turning up. He had two boys. And they come running towards me, calling me daddy. 
How would you feel about it? He went, okay, I get it. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, verse 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, here's the promise, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep, that your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Here's the promise. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. There's the promise. We're dealing with spiritual reality. We're all going to face attempting, uh, testing and temptation. But how do we overcome it? Well, I believe that Jesus has laid down the pattern. It's going to be the word of God. Submit, pick up your cross daily, and follow after him. Because he is the victor. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that Jesus is the victor. And on that cross, he won a, an eternal victory. Where, Lord, he took death captive. And, Lord, through that, we have been set free. Free to serve the blessed Son. Free to serve him. Lord, I pray that this week we will seek your face more. I pray, Lord, that we don't get in the flesh, but are filled with the Spirit. That, Lord, we may be ambassadors, faithful ambassadors of Jesus Christ, the Son. Lord, may you be glorified through this word. May you be glorified in our time of worship. And may you be at the center of all things. And we ask this, believing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.